Sargasso of Lost Starships, Chapter 1 Basil Donovan was drunk again. He sat near the open door of the Golden Planet, boots on the table, chair tilted back, one arm resting on the broad shoulder of Watcher, who sprawled on the floor beside him, the other hand clutching a tankard of ale. The tunic was open above his stained grey shirt, the battered cap was askew on his close-cropped blonde hair, and his insignia, the stars of a captain, and the silver leaves of an earl on answer, tarnished. There was a deepening flush over his pale gaunt cheeks, and his eyes smouldered with an old rage. Looking out across the cobbled street, he could see one of the tall half-timbered houses of Lansted. It had somehow survived the space bombardment, though its neighbours were rubble, but the tile roof was clumsily patched, and there was an oiled paper across the broken plastic of the windows. An anachronism, looming over the great bulldozer which was clearing the wreckage next door. The workmen there were mostly ensigns, big men in ragged clothes, but a well-dressed Terran was bossing the job. Donovan cursed wearily and lifted his tankard again. The long, smoky, rafted taproom was full, stolid burghers and peasants of Lansted, discharged spacemen still in their worn uniforms, a couple of tailed greenies from the neighbor planet Shalmu. Talk was low and spiritless, and the smoke which drifted from pipes and cigarettes was bitter, cheap tobacco and dried bark. The smell of defeat was thick in the tavern. May I sit here, sir? The other places are full. Donovan glanced up. It was a young fellow, peasant, written over his sunburned face in spite of the grey uniform and the empty sleeve. Omen, yes, Sam Omen, whose family had been under Donovan's fief these two hundred years. Sure, make yourself at home. Thank you, sir. I came in to get some supplies, though I'd have a beer, too. But you can't get anything these days, not to be had. Sam's face looked vaguely hopeful as he eyed the noble. We do need a gas engine bad, sir, for the tractor. Now that the sentry power caster is gone, you got to have our own engines. I don't want to presume, sir, but... Donovan lifted one corner of his mouth in a tired smile. I'm sorry, he said. If I could get one machine for the whole community, I'd be satisfied. Can't be done. We're trying to start a small factory of our own up at the manor. But it's slow work. I'm sure if anyone can do anything, it's you, sir. Donovan looked quizzically at the open countenance across the table. Sam, he asked, why do you people keep turning to the family? We led you, and it was to defeat. Why do you want anything more to do with nobles? We're not even that any longer. We've been stripped of our titles. We're just plain citizens of the Empire now, like you, and the new rulers of Terran. Why do you still think of us as your leaders? But you are, sir. You've always been. It wasn't the King's fault. Or his men's, the terror had so much more than we did. We gave them a fight they won't forget in a hurry. You were in my squadron, weren't you? Yes, sir, CPO and the answer Lancer. I was with you at the Battle of Luger. The deep-set eyes glowed. We hit him there, didn't we, sir? So we did. Donovan couldn't suppress the sudden, fierce memory. Outnumbered, outgunned, half its ships shot to pieces, and half the crews down with serious fever. The Royal Landstaders had still made naval history and sent the Imperial fleet keyoodling back to Saal. Naval historians would be scratching their heads over that battle for the next five centuries, before God had fought. He began to sing the old war song softly at first, louder as Sam joined in. Comrades hear the battle tiding, 
Hear the ships that rise and yell, Bearing outward starward riding, Kick the Terrans back to hell. The others were listening, Men raised weary heads, An old light burned in their eyes, And tankards clashed together. They stood up to roar out the chorus Till the walls shook. Lift your glasses high, Kiss the girls goodbye, For we're riding, for we're riding, For we're riding out to Terran sky, Terran sky, Terran sky. We have shaken loose our thunder where the planets have their way, and the starry deeps of wonder saw the impies in dismay. Lift your glasses high, kiss the girls goodbye. The workmen in the street heard it and stopped where they were. Some began to sing. The imperial superintendent yelled, and an anson turned to flash him with a wolfish grin. A squad of blue uniformed Salarian marines coming toward the inn went on the double. Oh, the Empress sent his battle, ships against us in a mass, but we shook them like a rattle, and we crowned them. Hey there, stop that! Song died slowly and stubbornly. The men stood where they were, and hands clenched into hard-knuckled fists. Someone shouted an obscenity. The Terrence sergeant was very young, and he felt unsure before those steady, hating eyes. He lifted his voice all the louder. That will be enough of that. Any more, and I'll run you all in for lazy mieste. Haven't you drunken bums anything better to do than sit around swilling beer? A big Anson Smith laughed with calculated raucousness. The sergeant looked around, trying to ignore him. I'm here for Captain Donovan, Earl Basil, if you prefer. They said he'd be here. I've got an imperial summons for him. The noble stretched out a hand. This is he. Let's have that paper. It's just a formal order, said the sergeant. You are to come at once. Commoners, said Donovan mildly. Address me as sir. You're commoner with the rest of them now, the sergeant's voice wavered just a little. I really must demand a little respect, said Donovan with drunken precision. There was an unholy gleam in his eyes. It's a mere formality, I know, but after all, my family can trace itself farther back than the Empire, whereas you can name your father. Sam Ullman snickered. Well, sir, the sergeant tried elaborate sarcasm. If you, sir, will please be so good as to pick your hybrid tail off that chair, sir, I'm sure the Imperium will be mostly, deeply grateful to you, sir. I'll have to do without its gratitude, I'm afraid. Donovan folded the summons without looking at it and put it in his tunic pocket. But thanks for the paper. I'll keep it in my bathroom. You're under arrest. Donovan stood slowly up unfolding his sheer two meters of slender, wiry height. All right, watcher, he said. Let's show them that answer hasn't surrendered yet. He threw the tankard into the sergeant's face, followed it with the table against the two marines beside him, and vaulted over the sudden ruckus to drive a fist into the jaw of the man beyond. Watcher rose, and his booming cry trembled in the walls. He'd been a slave of Donovan since he was a cub, and the man a child, and if someone had liberated him, he wouldn't have known what to do. As Batman, an irregular ground trooper, he had followed his master to the wars, and the prospect of a new skull-breaking lit his eyes with glee. For an instant there was tableau, Terrans and Ansons rigid, staring at the monster which suddenly stood behind the Earl. Natives of Donar have the not uncommon centauroid form, but their bodies are more like that of a rhinoceros than of a horse, hairless and slaty blue, and enormously massive. The gorilla-armed torso ended in a round-muzzled, ape-like face, long-eared, heavy-jawed, with canine tusks hanging over the great gash of a mouth. The chair splintered under his feet, and he grinned. Power guns! 
cried the sergeant. All hell let out for noon. Some of the customers huddled back into the corners, but the rest smashed the ends off bottles and threw themselves against the Terrans. Sam Ullman's remaining arm yanked a marine to him and bashed his face against the wall. Donovan's fist travelled a jolting arc to the nearest belly, and he snatched a rifle loose and crunched it against the man's jaw. A marine seized him from behind. He twisted in the grip and kicked savagely, whirled around and drove the rifle butt into the larynx. Kill the blue bellies! Kill the impies! Hail answer! Watcher charged into the squad, grabbed a hapless Terran in his four-fingered hands and swung the man like a club. Someone drew his bayonet to stab the slave. It glanced off the thick skin, and Watcher roared and sent him reeling. The riot blazed around the room, trampling men underfoot, shouting and cursing and swinging. Donovan! Donovan! shouted Sam Ullman. He charged the nearest impy and got a bayonet in the stomach. He fell down, holding his hand to his wound, screaming. The door was suddenly full of Terrans, Marines arriving to help their comrades. Paraguns began to sizzle. Men fell stunned before the supersonic beams and the fight broke up. Watcher charged the rescuers, and a barrage sent his giant form crashing to the floor. They herded the Ansons toward the city jail. Donovan, stirring on the ground as consciousness returned, felt handcuffs snap on his wrists. Imperial summons being what they were, he was bundled into a ground car and taken under heavy guard toward the ordered place. He leaned wearily back, watching the streets blur past. Once a group of children threw stones at the vehicle. Oh, had a cigarette, he said. Shut up! To his mild surprise, they did not halt at the military government headquarters, the old Hall of Justice where the Donovans had presided before the war, but went on toward the suburbs, the spaceport being still radioactive. He must be going to the emergency field outside the city. Hmm. He tried to relax. His head ached from the stun beam. A light cruiser had come in a couple of days before, H.M. Ganymede. It loomed enormous over the green rolling fields and the distant blued hills and forests. A lance of bright metal and energy pointed into the clear sky of answer, blinding in the sun. A couple of spacemen on sentry at the gangway halted as the car stopped before them. This man is going to Commander Yansky. Aye, aye, proceed. Through the massive airlock down the mirror-polished companionway, into an elevator, and up toward the bridge, Donovan looked about him with a professional eye. The impies kept a clean, tight ship, he had to admit. He wondered if he would be shot or merely imprisoned, doubted if he'd committed an enslaving offence. Well, it had been fun, and there hadn't been a hell of a lot to live for anyway. Maybe his friends could spring him, if and when they got some kind of underground organised. He was ushered into the captain's cabin. Jensen with him saluted. Donovan as per orders, ma'am. Very good, but why is he in irons? Resisted orders, ma'am. Started a riot. Bloody business. I see... She nodded her dark head. Losses? I don't know, ma'am, but we had several wounded at least. A couple of Ansons were killed, I think. Well, leave him here. You may go. But ma'am, he's dangerous. I have a gun, and there's a man just outside the door. You may go, Ensign. Donovan swayed a little on his feet, trying to pull himself erect, wishing he wasn't so dirty and bloody and generally messed up. He looked like a tramp man, he thought. Give up appearances. Don't let them outdo us, even in spit and polish. Sit down, Captain Donovan, said the woman. He lowered himself to a chair, 
raking her with deliberately insolent eyes. She was young to be wearing a commander's twin planets, young and trim and nice-looking, tall body, sturdy but graceful, well filled out in the blue uniform and red cloak, raven black hair falling to her shoulders, strong blunt-fingered hands, one of them resting close to her side-arm. Her face was interesting, broad and cleanly moulded, high cheekbones, wide full mouth, stubborn chin, snub nose, storm-grey eyes set far apart under heavy dark brows. A superior peasant type, he decided, and felt more at ease in the armour of his inbred haughtiness. He leaned back and crossed his legs. I am Helena Yensky, in command of this vessel, she said. Her voice was low and resonant. The note was strengthened. I need you for a certain purpose. Why did you resist the imperial summons? Donovan shrugged. Let's say I'm used to giving orders, not receiving them. Ah, yes. She ruffled the papers on her desk. You were the Earl of Lanstead, weren't you? After my father and older brother were killed in the war, yes. He lifted his head. I am still the Earl. She studied him with a dispassionate gaze that he found strangely uncomfortable. I must say that you are a curious sort of leader, she murmured. One who spends his time in a tavern getting drunk, and who, on a whim, provokes a disorder in which many of his innocent followers are hurt or killed, in which property difficult to replace is smashed. Yes, I think it was about time that Ansa had a change of leadership. Danifan's face was hot. Well, take it. What right had she to tell him what to do? What right had the whole damned empire to come barging in where it wasn't wanted? The families under the king have governed Ansa since it was colonized, he said stiffly. If it had been such a misrule as you seem to think, would the commons have fought for us as they did? Chapter 2 Again that thoughtful stare. She saw a tall young man, badly disarrayed, blood and dirt streaking his long, thin-carved, curved-nosed features, an old scar jagging across his high, narrow forehead. The hair was yellow, the eyes were blue, the whole look that of an old and settled aristocracy. His bitter voice lashed at her. We ruled answer well because we were part of it. We grew up with the planet, and we understood our folk and men were free under us. That's something which no upstart solar empire can have, not for centuries, not ever to judge by the stock they use for nobility, when peasants command spaceships. Her face grew a little pale, but she smiled and replied evenly, I am the Lady Yansky of Torgendale on Valor, Sirius A, 4, and you are now a commoner. Please remember that. All the papers in the galaxy won't change the fact that your grandfather was a dirt farmer on Valor. He was an atom jack, and I am proud of it. I suggest further that an aristocrat who has nothing to trade on but his pedigree is very ragged indeed. Now enough of that. Her crisp tones snapped forth. You committed a serious offence, especially since this is still occupied territory. If you wish to cooperate with me, I can arrange for a pardon, also for your brawling friends. If not, the whole bunch of you can go to the mines. Donovan shook his head, trying to clear it of alcohol and weariness, and the ringing left by the parabeam. Go on, he said a little thickly. I'll listen anyway. What do you know of the Black Nebula? She must have seen his muscles jerk. For an instant he sat fighting himself, grasping at rigidity with all the strength that was in him. 
and the memory was ablaze and a shout and a stab of pure fear. Valdumar, Valdumar! The sudden thudding of his heart was loud in his ears, and he could feel the fine beads of sweat starting forth on his skin. He made a wrenching effort, impelled his mouth into a lopsided grin, but his voice wavered. Which black nebula? There are a lot of them. Don't try to bait me. Her eyes were narrowed on him, and the fingers of one hand drummed the desktop. You know I mean the black nebula. Nobody in this galactic sector speaks of any other. Very well. Donovan lowered his face to hide it till he could stiffen the mask, rubbing his temples with manacled hands. It's just a nebula, a roughly spherical dust cloud, maybe a light year in diameter, about ten parsecs from Ansar toward Sagittari. A few colonized stars on its fringes, nothing inside it as far as anyone knows. It has a bad name for some reason. The superstitious say it's haunted, and you hear stories of ships disappearing. Well, it gets a pretty wide berth. Not much out there anyway. His mind was racing. He thought he could almost hear it click and whir as it spewed forth idea after idea, memory after memory. Valdumar in the blackness and they who laughed. The nebula is pure poison, and now the Empire is getting interested. By God, it might poison them. Only would it stop there. This time they might decide to go on, to come out of the blackness. Jansky's voice seemed to come from very far away. You know more than that, Donovan. Intelligence has been sifting Anson records. You were the farthest ranging space raider your planet had, and you had a base on Heim, at the very edge of the nebula. Among your reports, there is an account of your men's unease, of the disappearance of small ships which cut through the nebula on their missions, of ghostly things seen aboard other vessels and men who went mad. Your last report on the subject says that you investigated personally, that most of your crew went more or less crazy while in the nebula, and that you barely got free. You recommend the abandonment of Heim and the suspension of operations in that territory. This was done, the region being of no great strategic importance anyway. Very well, the voice held a whip-crack undertone. What do you know about the Black Nebula? Donovan had fought his way back to impassivity. You have about the whole story already, he said. There were all sorts of illusions as we penetrated, whisperings and glimpses of impossible things, and so on. It didn't affect me much but it drove many toward insanity, and some died. There was also very real and unexplainable trouble, engines, lights, and so on. My guess is that there's some sort of radiation in the nebula which makes atoms and electrons misbehave. That'd affect the human nervous system, too, of course. If you're thinking of entering it yourself, my only advice is don't. Hmm. She cupped her chin in one hand and looked down at the pages. Frankly, we know very little about this galactic sector. Very few Terrans were ever here before the war, and previous intercourse on your part with Sol was even slighter. However, intelligence has learned that the natives of almost every inhabited planet on the fringes of the nebula worship it, or at least regard it as the home of the gods. Well, it is a conspicuous object in their skies, said Donovan. He added truthfully enough. I only know about Heim, where the native religion in the area of our base was a sort of devil worship centered around the nebula. They made big sacrifices, foodstuffs, furs, tools, every conceivable item of use or luxury, which they claimed the devil guards came and took. Some of the colonists thought there was something behind the legends, but I have my doubts. He shrugged. Will that do? For the time being, Jansky smiled with a certain bleak humor. You can write a detailed report later on, and I strongly advise you not to mislead me, because you're going there with us. 
Donovan accepted the news coldly, but he thought the knocking of his heart must shake his whole body. His hands felt chilly and wet, as you wish, though what I can do. You've been there before and know what to expect. Furthermore, you know the astrogation of that region. Our charts are worse than sketchy, and even the Anson tables have too many blank spots. Well, Donovan got the words out slowly. If I don't have to enlist, I will not take an oath to your emperor. You needn't. Your status will be that of a civilian under imperial command, directly responsible to me. You will have a cabin of your own, but no compensation except the abandonment of criminal proceedings against you. Yansky relaxed, and her voice grew gentler. However, if you serve well, I'll see what I can do about pay. I dare say you could use some extra money. Thank you, said Donovan formally. He entered the first phase of the inchoate plan, which was taking cloudy shape in his hammering brain. May I have my personal slave with me? He's non-human, but he can eat Terran food. Yansky smiled. There was a sudden warmth in that smile. It made it human and beautiful. As you wish, if he doesn't have fleas, I'll write you an order for his embarkation. It hit the ceiling when she found what kind of passenger she'd agreed to, thought Donovan. But by then it would be too late. And with Watcher to help me, and the ship blundering blind into the nebula. Valduma, Valduma, I'm coming back. And this time will you kiss me or kill me? The Ganymede lifted Graves and put the answer sun behind her. Much further behind was Sal, an insignificant moat fifty light-years away, lost in the thronging glory of stars. Ahead lay Sagittari, galactic centre, and the Black Nebula. Space burned and blazed with a million bitter-bright suns, keen cold, unwinking flames strewn across the utter dark of space, flashing and flashing over the hollow gulf of the leagues and the years. The Milky Way foamed in curdled silver around that enormous night, a shining girdle jewelled with the constellations. Far and far away wheeled the mysterious green and blue-white of the other galaxies, sparks of a guttering fire with a reeling immensity between. Looking toward the bows, one saw the great star clusters of Sagittari, the thronging host of suns burning and thundering at the heart of the galaxy. And what have we done? thought Basil Donovan. What is man and all his proud achievements? Our home star is a dwarf on the lonely fringe of the galaxy, out where the stars thin away toward the great emptiness. We've ranged maybe two hundred light-years from it in all directions, and it's thirty thousand to the centre. Night and mystery and nameless immensities around us, our day of glory the briefest flicker on the edge of nowhere, then oblivion forever. And we won't be forgotten, because we'll never have been noticed. The black nebula is only the least and outermost of the great clouds which thicken toward the centre and hide its ultimate heart from us. It is nothing even as we, and yet it holds a power older than the human race, and a terror that may whelm it. He felt again the old quailing funk. Fear crawled along his spine, and will drained out of his soul. He wanted to run, escape, huddle under the sky of answer to hide from the naked blaze of the universe live out his day and forget that he had seen the scornful face of God. But there was no turning back, not now. The ship was already outpacing light on her secondary drive, and he was half a prisoner aboard. He squared his shoulders and walked away from the viewplate, back toward his cabin. Watcher was sprawled on a heap of blankets, covering the floor with his bulk. He was turning the brightly colored pages of a child's picture book. Boss, he asked, when do we kill him? The impies? Not yet, Watcher. Maybe not at all. 
Donovan stepped over the monster and lay down on his bunk, hands behind his head. He could feel the thrum of the driving engines quivering in the ship in his bones. The nebular may do that for us. You go back there, Watcher stirred uneasily. Don't like, boss. It's too bad. Bad. Yeah, so it is. Better we stay home. Manor needs repair. Peasants need our help. I need beer. So do I. I'll see if we can't promote some from the quartermaster. Old John can look after the estate while we're away, and the peasants will just have to look after themselves. Maybe it's time they learned how. At a knock on the door, come in. Tetsuo Takahashi, the ship's exec, brought his small, sturdy form around Watcher and sat down on the edge of the bunk. Your slave is the old lady hopping mad, he grinned. He'll eat six times a man's ration. And drink it, Donovan smiled back. He couldn't help liking the cocky little Terran. Then with a sudden renewed bitterness, and he's worth it. I can be without him. He may not be so terribly bright, but he's my only proof that loyalty and decency aren't extinct. Takahashi gave him a puzzled look. Why do you hate us so much? he asked. You came in when you weren't asked. Answer was free, and now it's just another province of your damned empire. Maybe so, but you were a backwater. An underpopulated agricultural planet which nobody had ever heard of, exposed to barbarian raids and perhaps to non-human conquest. You're safe now, and you're part of a great social economic system which can do more than all those scrubbing little kingdoms and republics and theocracies and God knows what else put together could ever dream of. We said we wanted to be safe. Our ancestors came to answer to be free. We fought Shamu when the Greenies wanted to take what we'd built, and then we made friends with them. We had elbow room and a way of life that was our own. Now you'll bring in your surplus population to fill our green lands with yelling cities and squalling people. You'll tear down the culture we evolved so painfully and make us just another bunch of cow-towing imperial citizens. Frankly, Donovan, I don't think it was much of a culture. It sat in its comfortable rut and admired the achievements of its ancestors. What did your precious families do but hunt and loaf and throw big parties? Maybe they did fulfill a magisterial function. So what? Any elected yacht could do the same in that simple a society. Takahashi fixed his eyes on Donovan's. But rights and wrongs aside, the Empire had to annex answer, and when you wouldn't come in peaceably, you had to be dragged in. Yeah, a dumping ground for people who were too stupid not to control their own breeding. Your Anson peasants, my friend, have about twice the Terran birth rate. It's merely that there were more Terrans to start with, and Syrians and Centaurians, and all the old settled planets. No, it was more than that. It was a question of military necessity. Uh-huh, sure. Read your history sometime. When the Commonwealth broke up in civil wars two hundred years ago, it was hell between the stars. Half-savage peoples, who never should have left their planets, had learned how to build spaceships, and were going out to raid and conquer. A dozen would-be overlords scotched whole worlds with their battles. You can't have anarchy on an interstellar scale. Too many people suffer. Old Manuel I had the guts to proclaim himself Emperor of Saul. No pretty euphemisms for him. An empire was needed, and an empire was what he built. He kicked the barbarians out of the solar system and went on to conquer their home territories and civilize them. That meant he had to subjugate stars closer to home to protect his lines of communication. This led to further trouble elsewhere. Oh yes, a lot of it was greed, but the planets which were conquered for their wealth would have been sucked in anyway by sheer economics. The second our goad had carried on, and now his son, Manuel II, is finishing the job. We've very nearly attained what we must have, an empire large enough to be socio-economically self-sufficient and defend itself against all comers, 
of which there were many, without being too large for control. You should visit the Inner Empire sometime, Donovan, and see how many social evils it's been possible to wipe out because of security and central power. But we need this sector to protect our Sagittarian flank, so we're taking it. Fifty years from now, you'll be glad we did. Donovan looked sourly up at him. Why are you feeding me that? he asked. I've heard it before. We're going to survey a dangerous region, and you're our guide. The captain and I think there's more than a new radiation in the Black Nebula. I'd like to think we could trust you. Think so, if you wish. We could use a hypnoprobe on you, you know. We'd squeeze your skull dry of everything it contained, but we'd rather spare you that indignity. And you might need me when you get there, and I'll still be only half-conscious. Quit playing the great altruist, Takahashi. The exec shook his head. There's something wrong inside you, Donovan, he murmured. You aren't the man who licked us at Luger. Luger, Donovan's eyes flashed. Were you there? Sure. Destroyer North Africa. Just come back from the Zeroon front. Cigarette? They felt a yawning and passed a pleasant hour. Donovan could not suppress a vague regret when Takahashi left. They had such bad fellows, those impies. They were brave and honorable enemies, and they'd been lenient conquerors as such things go. But when we hit the Black Nebula... He shuddered. Watch you get that whiskey out of my trunk. You're going to get drunk again, boss. The denarian's voice rumbled disappointment. I am. I'm going to try to stay drunk the whole damn voyage. You just don't know what we're heading for, Watcher. Stranger, go back. Spaceman, go home. Turn back, adventurer. It is death. Return, human. The darkness whispered. Voices ran down the length of the ship, blending with the unending murmur of the drive, urging, commanding, whispering so low that it seemed to be within men's skulls. Basil Donovan lay in darkness. His mouth tasted foul, and there was a throb in his temples and a wretchedness in his throat. He lay and listened to the voice which had wakened him. Go home, wanderer. You will die. Your ship will plunge through the hollow dark till the stars grow cold. Turn home, human. Boss, I hear them, boss. I'm scared. How long have we been underway? When did we leave answer? A week ago, boss. Maybe more. You've been drunk. Wake up, boss. Turn on the light. They're whispering in the dark and I'm scared. We must be getting close. Return. Go home. First comes madness and then comes death. And then comes the spinning outward forever. Turn back, spaceman. Bodiless whisper out of the thick, thrumming dark, sourceless, all-pervading susurration, and it mocked. There was a cruel, cynical scorn of the outer vastness running up and down the laughing voice. It murmured, it jeered, it ran along nerves with little icy feet and flowed through the brain. It called and jibed and hungered. It warned them to go back, and it knew they wouldn't, and railed its mockery at them for it. Demon whisper, there in the huge, cold loneliness, snaring and grinning and waiting. Donovan sat up and groped for the light switch. We're close enough, he said tonelessly. We're in their range now. Footsteps racketed in the corridor outside. A sharp rap on his door. Come in. Come in and enjoy yourself. <laughs>